Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Audrey Simons and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Audra Simons. Audra. Hey, Rachel. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's finally below 50 degrees in Texas. Ooh. So it's like, ooh, it's so chilly. So everyone's brought their jumpers so out. Yeah, yes. Freezing yes. to death. Finally <laughs> found my sweater that I packed up, you know, a year ago and has <laughs> moths in it. But no, I'm so excited to be chilly. Oh, it's just the best thing ever. Excellent. So I wanted to well, share we've, that We've got Storm Karen. Karen? Um, blasting about yes um so i'd like there are places that i now have ponds that i never had before so it's wet (laughs) nice nice well ponds are great i have a koi pond so you know long term you want to start something like that let me know i got all the information (laughs) excellent help you out so excellent We are going to have such a fun conversation today. I love, love this theme. So please welcome Zoe McDonald. She's a writer and digital strategist with the Mozilla Foundation, where she helps shine a light on businesses that violate users' privacy by researching companies' privacy agreements. And the culmination of that research becomes the Privacy Not Included Buyer's Guide that helps people better understand the safety and security behind products that connect to the internet. Oh, welcome, Zoe. So excited. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Excellent. So Zoe, can we jump off and by you actually telling us more about Privacy Not Included Guide? So like how it works, the areas that you focus on, just because there may be a lot of our listeners who've not heard of it before. Yeah, and how so many different areas too. I can't imagine how you prioritize, right, as well? Exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is difficult to prioritize. Um, uh, Privacy Not Included was founded in 2017 and uh, it was basically uh, was developed by our leader, Jen Kaltreiter at Mozilla. And she noticed that there was a big gap between um, the increasing interconnectedness of our devices and at the same time, the um, awareness of what you know, data these devices are collecting and what these companies are doing with that data. And whenever you see like a big gap like that, uh, you know, in the startup world, it's either because nobody cares or just nobody has really highlighted that yet. And the only way you can really find out which of those it is, is by testing it. So we launched um, Privacy Not Included at that time with the uh, holiday guide. And it turned out it was the... um, Ladder or the, the former, whichever people cared. People cared a lot um, about uh, about what their connected devices were collecting and sharing about them. And um, the, the purpose of the guide is to give people the information that they need to be able to make smart choices about their privacy when they purchase these products. Love it. Excellent. So let's let's talk about some of the bigger offenders of our, our privacy. Let's talk about kind of, you know, cars. So various car companies, you know, and and that industry you've actually found is one of the worst privacy policies that your team have ever researched. What are some of the findings that brought you to this conclusion? (laughs) It's a big question because because, um, 
they're doing all the things basically that we don't like to see. And one of the things I just want to underscore off the top is that it's not normal for us to take on an entire category or a, a, a buyer's guide and to have every single product fail our criteria. I think that's partly why we've, we've garnered so much attention with this report. Um, you know, we reviewed mental health apps for the second time earlier this year, and we would also consider them like a poor performing category, something that we're worried about. But um, even then, you know, we had a couple of best ofs and then you have a handful of um, middling products that get like our sideways thumb and then um, the warning label for that to be applied to like more than half the products is a huge red flag. So for every single one of the car brands to earn the privacy not included warning label was definitely a shock to us and something that we're really worried about. Um, we look at a few things. We look at the data that is collected and what's done with it. We look at consumers' uh, control over that data. We look at whether the companies meet a very basic set of security standards, what we call our minimum security standards. Um, and then we also look at their track records because there are a lot of companies out there that say all the right things, but then, you know, in their history, we just look at the past three years. Right. Um, what they do doesn't always match what they say. So it is a really important uh, grounding factor to also look at, okay, you say you treat data X, Y, Z, but you know, how has that worked out for your consumers and your, your clients in the past? Um, yeah, you know, it's yeah, just, so, and all, yeah. sorry, I was just going to say, you know, cause I, I recently upgraded my 17 year old Acura, which was amazing, but not connected to a connected car. Um, and I'm trying to, was there even a privacy agreement when I signed up for the app? I don't know. I mean, this thing follows me everywhere, but I didn't even think about it. How crazy is that? That when I got this app and it's like, oh, we can see where you're going, how much gas you have, all the things but literally it didn't even occur to me, Zoe, like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy. Like it's it's uh it's not right how obscure it is. Right. And you know, the fact that nobody reads privacy policies is like the oldest joke on the internet. And I think that car makers are really, really counting on that because all we're really doing is elevating things that are written in black and white, you know, on their websites as part of their their so-called public privacy policies, but they know for a fact that people aren't actually aware of what's going on in the fine print. And in fact, the way that the policies are written, it's clear that they don't expect them to be um, read and understood because there's a lot of bad stuff in there, so, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So question on that. Normally, if um, companies are collecting your data, whatever that data may be, and it could be where you're driving, how much gas you have and all that sort of thing, normally businesses justify why and why they're holding that information. Mm -hmm. Have have you guys gone back to the car industry, like individual manufacturers, and said, these are our findings, and had any response or justification for what they're doing? Yeah. There are certainly a lot of legitimate reasons for car companies to have your data, especially like your driving data and some technical data. And probably some of that feeds into some sa safety features as well. But what we found is that there are a lot of reasons for which they're using this data that 
could not be reasonably tied to anything that's going to help you get from point A to point B more safely. Like, for example, they're selling personal data. Most of the car companies are selling your personal data. So it's hard to imagine a scenario where that would work um, for your own benefit. And as far as engaging in a conversation with the car makers, um, another thing that has been unique about uh, cars as a product, as a product guide, is that they pretty much fully ignored us. Like we always send a series of emails. We send them three emails um, and then a warning email that they're receiving our privacy not included warning label before we publish the research. And it was basically crickets across the board. Like we we, we did get um, answers from three different companies, but while they still didn't answer our questions, they at least acknowledged that we were writing to them. But um, yeah, no, aside from that, they, they didn't express a whole lot of interest in uh, collaborating with us or providing us answers or engaging in any kind of conversation with us. Okay. Because one of the ones I, I admit I went down a rabbit hole on my, my research was talking about, you know, how is Nissan collecting information about my sexual activity was in one of the articles, and is that even legal? And, I mean, are are we, are, are you raising this with car manufacturers? Because how, one, how do they know someone's having sex in a car? That, that That's <laughs> what I'm really concerned about. And two, like, how would they use that data like, in selling it on to, to I don't know, other well, businesses to market at you. Maybe it's future design. <laughs> More comfortable seats. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Just spitballing here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the creepiest things for us is that there's just so much that we don't know. Like we don't know how they're collecting this information. We actually don't even know if they're collecting it. But what we know is that because they've said in the privacy policy that they may collect it, that they legally can collect that information. And um, it's interesting because specifically in reference to the, the, in one case it's information about your sex life and in another case it's sexual activity data, um, the car companies responded that they're not collecting that. They don't have any intention of collecting that. But what they've done is basically just taken the broadest possible definition of personal data and kind of copied and pasted that into their privacy policy. Yeah. But that's that's not a very good defense because that means that they they absolutely are casting, they're admitting to casting the widest net possible to just collect whatever they may want to collect, you know, now or in the future. So that's that's kind of frightening. And as for what they're doing with it, you know, as I said, they are selling it. We know also that they're they're sharing it widely. They use your personal information to also create inferences about you that they then sell. So that could be part of what's motivating them to have such a data maximalist approach. Mm -hmm. Because then in theory, you know, the more you know, the more that you can infer and then the more you can sell and share and use to your, your own advantage. I mean, even without sharing that data, it can be immensely valuable to um, these car companies and their affiliates because they're massive companies on their own. And um, some of them even have like their own data processing uh, startups as part of the, you know, as part of like inside the organization as well. So can, can people opt out? 
Aside from how does Nissan know about my sex life, that has been our number one question. Like uh, we did a Reddit AMA and so many people asked it in like different, you know, formulations, like how do I turn it off? Is there like a chip that I can like carve out from my dashboard or, you know, like how do I do it if I don't use the app? Like, is it mostly about the app? Um, and that was sort of, it's disheartening because uh, we don't really have much to offer in the way of advice about how to opt out because these um, auto manufacturers are using implicit or assumed consent mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and we, we just don't really have any like super solid recommendations about how you can mitigate the, the, um, this mass uh, collection of, of data. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. That's crazy. I have to say, if they're going to sell my data, I want a little kickback. You know, I think <laughs> we should all get a little bit of little piece of that pie since you're capitalizing on my personal information. I want to sell my own information. I'd like to have that ability. You know, uh, you could rent it out. Rent it, yeah, at least it, <laughs> least it for. Uh, I think that's legit. 12, yeah, 24 I think that's months. completely legitimate. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if if someone, if, you should. Be it, like it, it sounds radical, but you should be in control of your own data and you should be the one who's benefiting from it, especially when you are already paying for your car and its many services. There's no reason for your car maker to be exploiting you as their own, you know, personal side hustle. So considering the amount of data that they are supposedly based on their terms and conditions um, that they're collecting. Do you guys look at anything around their cybersecurity and how they're protecting that data? Because if, if I've bought a new car, I'm going off and having a wild time in my car and all that sort of stuff. I want to make certain my data is protected. You know, I'm driving interesting places and all that. How, how are they actually protecting that? Do you look at that side of things? Yes, great question. Uh, and you would think that the car companies could at least be counted on to protect the data because it's their business asset. But unfortunately, 68% uh, of the cars that we looked at earned our bad track record ding, which means they had like a data uh, breach or a hack or a serious leak just in the past three years. That number would have been much higher if we would have gone back further. Um, and then, like I said, we also could not confirm whether any of the cars that we researched met our minimum security standard. So that also raised a lot of um, alarm bells for us as well. So yeah, we don't, we don't necessarily trust the data in the hands of the car manufacturers, but there is also a concern that we have that the data could end up in even, you know, wronger hands like strangers, um, hackers, cyber criminals, right? People like that. Yikes. <laughs> so could I ask, could I ask for a positive? Did anyone, even though they're collecting loads of data, people aren't necessarily certain of what, did anyone or any of these companies come up well from a cybersecurity perspective? Anyone at all? Um, from a cybersecurity perspective, perspective no <laughs> i mean it's it, well uh, we well, well what i can say about the cybersecurity. i mean the bad track record like i said mm -hmm. that is most of them so that's not good the other thing that we look at is the minimum security standard and um 
I mean, nobody, we couldn't confirm whether any of the car companies met our minimum security standard. So, and that's a pretty, I mean, not necessarily a low bar, but it's kind of a, like, it's minimum security standard, you know, it's not the like state of the art security standard here. So, so I was actually pretty surprised that, that, um, none of them. You're looking down here and they're still, you're still looking down below that, that (laughs) the bar bar is low to start with. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's like a medium bar. It's, uh, it's something that, uh, it's something that it, something that is as sophisticated and as like technologically advanced and, you know, designed as a car should be able to clear that bar. No problem. Especially because of the volume and the intimacy of the, the data that the car collects and then how, you know, we trust these cars with our lives. Like it seems like now if we're going to spin this into an opportunity though, perhaps if, if even one or two or three of these car companies or car brands, could that become now a differentiator? For these cars, as people start to become more aware of, you know, like my data is out there in the ether, right? And it's not necessarily secure. And there's so much that you do in your car, right? Uh, where do you go? You know, calls that you make through the interface. Um, you know, I, I think if, if Audi or whoever, let's say I'm making this up, but if they were like, you know what, we take your privacy first, privacy by design. Do you think that could become like a differentiator for car brands ahead? It could be, and it probably is already for some of the more um, luxury car brands. But the reality is for the average consumer, for the average driver, they're not going to be able to take privacy into account when they're shopping for a car. You know, there are so many other factors that people have to look into, Um, you know, whether the car is even available in their area or, you know, the safety features budget is huge, obviously. So for a select few, probably this, this could be like a a differentiator for a more, um, you know, specialty brand, but we'd still be concerned about the, the Fords and Chevys and the Hyundais. (laughs) Because it seems like, and maybe we're still too early in this whole kind of conversation about privacy, but there's certain things that seems like they should be table stakes, I guess. And I don't know, when are we going to get there to their, you know, privacy becomes just table stakes? Because there's other ways for them to make money, <laughs> right? Uh, that's not off of my personal information. And, you know, how far out do you think we might be from that, Zoe? We're talking like 10, 15 years specifically, right, as everything's going electric. So that kind of kicks up the whole digital aspect even, you know, exponentially higher. And, you know, I'm really like Audi's going to get rid of some of their cars so they can bring on 15, 20 new electric vehicles. Every manufacturer is looking to this. And that just seems like this could really run amok even more so very, very quickly. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we realized in having these conversations that people don't necessarily understand about modern cars is that this distinction between a so-called smart car and a regular car doesn't really exist. Right. Like that's just the the way of the future um, now, but especially, as you said, in the next five or so years. And things like um, Telematics used to be opt-in, it used to be uh, a dongle, but now these are increasingly just like built into the car systems, um, harder to opt out from, uh, and then that's just fewer consumer choices. Wow. So is there is there anything, are there any ways that people can actually protect themselves in terms of the information that they do share? Is there anything that's in control of the actual, the drivers themselves that they should not? 
be sharing through their cars? There are little things that you can do. I mean, you cannot collect.、Uh, you cannot connect your phone to your car. You could not use the cars app because then that, of course, like unlocks kind of access to your phone.、Um, and oftentimes, both the app and the car share the same privacy policy, so we can't be sure which information is being drawn from which、mm-hmm. source. So, in that sense, you know, less is more. The connected services are also、uh, a big source of.、Um, Information that your or data that your car would create and extract about you, but it's such a. I mean, compared to all the information that is collected by the car automatically, it feels like a drop in the bucket. And at the same time, I think that it probably makes your experience with the car that you purchased a lot worse. Like to say, hey, don't connect your phone, don't use the connected services. It's hard to make that recommendation to people. When it doesn't make a huge difference, but you know, for your personal experience, it might make、right. it might have a big negative impact. And that seems to be, I think, the crux of this conversation, right? Because depending on people's age, generation, what have you,、uh, there are those that are like, "Whatever, man, my life's out in the open. What could they possibly exploit for me?" And then there's others that I'm locking it down. I'm not going to have social media accounts. But there's this, I guess, spectrum of those willing to give up privacy for convenience. But at what cost, ultimately? Yeah, and I think it really bothers people in this case that they don't have the choice、right. because a lot of people feel that they have to drive. A lot of people do have to、right. drive to support the the life that they want to live.、Um, so it's not really fair to not be able to like opt out of that kind of data collection and that sort of violation of your privacy. Absolutely. I mean, unless you're going to ride a bicycle everywhere, and that just or, or seem... buy an old car. <laughs> <laughs> well, so th- that's the other thing is that you know I'm tempted to tell people to buy older cars, but cars are also getting much safer. You know, every five and ten years, they、yeah. make major improvements to cars'、uh, safety, and certainly some of the data that's being collected is being used to that、right. end, and that's good. That's fine. Um, but the information should be like walled off in a sensible way, so that it's used to to help、right. us and to help、um, like even、uh, infrastructure.、Mm-hmm. You know, driving data can be、yes. useful. It's just that it's not helpful for it to be you know packaged and sold, for example, or just collected for the sake of building a very robust personal profile about you that then can be shared to a bunch of people who want to sell you things. Yeah. So there's always the option of this being a new business that someone can come up with a privacy kind of solution、Ooh. that you can actually implement on your cars that actually limits what kind of information is sent out about you. Just putting it out there as a business idea, like a signal blocker, so that、uh, yeah. none of the signals work and they can't track anything. That's options. <laughs> <laughs> We're see.、Uh, I'm also afraid of like I, I'm a, I'm wary of those、uh, kinds of tools and those kinds of innovations because in a lot of the the privacy policies,、um, Tesla is just coming to mind, but there are others as well that said basically, sure, you can turn off the data collection of your car, but we can't promise 
Like we can't say what will happen to your car as a result, <laughs> basically. It might be a little bit or a lot inoperable. And um, so things like that worry us. So we don't want to encourage people, wow. just for the record, to start messing around with their cars to try to, you know, disconnect something or or attach something or block the signal because we're, we're concerned that it would cause a... Um, Wow. A safety it, concern. It Those could, people are for function. It could be an innovation, though, for the car manufacturers. An additional sell on, you know, upsell, like, you know. Absolutely. Like racing seats and then kind of a data blocker <laughs> and that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Or how about that by default? And then, <laughs> and then you can opt into sharing your data exactly. for some 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 kickback that you get from the from the car company. That would be cool. That one sounds good, too. That actually just simplifies <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, being paid for your data would be nice. Right? It's like crowdsourcing, right? And we all get to benefit. I love that. Exactly. I think so. I think we got a call to action here, Audra. We do. We do. <laughs> I'm in agreeing. I want to sign the petition. <laughs> sign a petition, privacynotincluded.org. Um, that's our attempt to ask, you know, the car companies to do the right thing. But failing that... Um, what we're really hoping for is more robust privacy legislation in the U.S. Because I think, you know, back to um, what you were saying earlier about table stakes, I think that's really the only way to get them is to just kind of force these companies to fall in line. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm wondering, too, though, like we talked a little bit about the White House executive order on AI that came out this morning. And I know it's like fresh off the presses. So I know I, I haven't had a chance to dig into it, but privacy is a piece of that. And you kind of wonder where is there some kind of follow through goodness as we look to AI, AI applications within cars. Maybe that could be a step to help start getting us some of this, you know, more privacy regulation enforced based on applications, you know, by defaults or I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, all this conversation about AI and about AI regulation is also shining a light on the need for privacy regulation because of these um, privacy breaches that are happening in the context of AI and free AI tools. Yeah, it's, that would be great. Can we talk about the 23andMe breach? Because <laughs> this person was his name, Golem, Gollum. Uh, released, what, 4 million records um, out there. I don't know. You guys probably track these kind of applications, right? I know you had like the mental health applications, and I don't know if this category has come up um, within your research, but it's that's very private information. And I can imagine if you were to sell it to insurance companies, for example, right, pre-existing conditions, even though it hasn't hit yet, but you have a 78% chance of, I don't know, dementia by the time you hit 74 you know, that could be very dangerous depending on the hands and, and you know, tracking how that information was gotten, you know, by certain industries, let's say. I mean, that, that's a little concerning, too. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think, guys? <laughs> Just, I, I'm flabbergasted. I, I totally agree. I think it's very scary. And I think something that we learned when we we're researching mental health apps is that, um, People, when they're disclosing very private information, like chat transcripts with someone who is a coach slash therapist, for example, sometimes there's an assumption that because this information is so sensitive that it will be treated with extra care. And that would be the same case like for, you know, genetic or ancestry um, apps and, 
and websites, but that just unfortunately isn't always the case. Um, and then even when that information is treated with care, like from a cybersecurity standpoint, nothing is 100% and nothing is totally bulletproof. So you can still have these data breaches and the consequences in the case of your genetic information, which by the way, is also like a line item that the, the car's privacy policies say that they can collect, nice. is um, it's really high stakes. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's another weird one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Can I ask, what was the catalyst to actually for the creation yes. of Privacy Not Included? What's what's the project backstory? What was like the event or events the that led point. to its creation? Yeah. I don't know that there was any single one thing. Um, I think it was just... Uh, you know, like I said earlier, there was uh, there was an acknowledgement that there was this huge gap. There is this, um, there are connected products. They are doing things with your data. Nobody really knows like what and how and when. Um, and that gap needed to be filled and uh, consumers needed to be empowered with that information. Because I was, I was wondering whether it was kind of the internet of things kicking it off when you have like your coffee machine that wants your date of birth and, you know, like your sexual preferences and things like that. And you're kind of going, it's a coffee machine. Right. <laughs> but it's got the asterisk next to it where you have to answer it or you can't yeah. submit the form. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or my washing machine. I looked at actually what it would take to set it up because it had other tunes it could play. So I was going to have different music for my washing Jeez. machine. And when I read what the information it wanted from me in order to connect it, I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Like, I think that um, people do have a lot of questions like that. Like, why does my washing machine need to know my you know, sexual orientation or something exactly. like that? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and what are, what are they doing with it? Um, and, you know, at the same time, pe people just do not have the time and resources to be reading thousands of privacy policies for all the things that they have to begrudgingly click accept on throughout the day. So we're trying to help bridge that gap and, you know, kind of put the fine print in, in bold print. Yeah. So, so can you talk about any positives, like positive effects <laughs> that your project has had? On, on getting people like businesses to change yeah. how they're handling like privacy and, and data. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aside from cars, general non-responsiveness and like seeming, you know, not too keen on cooperating, we have had a lot of companies in the past that have been um, really eager to work with us and learn, you know, how can I improve my privacy policy, what do you recommend that I do? Nice, nice. Like I know that um, we spoke to uh, Garmin specifically, we made a recommendation that their, their privacy policies are already quite good, but that they allow users to get access and to delete their personal information no matter where they live in the world. And they ultimately took that into consideration and said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll add it in there. Um, when we were doing the uh, mental health apps, I think it was, um, Wobot and um, Modern Health and a few others, we help them also uh, improve the language in their privacy policies, improve either their um, cybersecurity 
or their uh, data um, control, you know, for their 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 users, their consumers. So we have seen those small incremental mm. changes on a very direct level with companies. I think some of the biggest impact we're having though is more just bringing things to the forefront, mm. bringing things as part of the public conversation and making consumers aware of like what is the status quo with privacy. I think I think awareness is key. I really do because there are so many people that don't realize particularly with the connected devices that they have in their homes. Right what kind of information is being collected. Exactly. And I think it's very clear, you know, based on the attention that this and other guides have gotten is that people do care. They absolutely care about their privacy. Um, It's just that they're not aware of what's going on and they have so many unanswered questions. Well, particularly the language a lot of times. I mean, I know they have to use legalese or, or whatever, but you know, kind of like what you were talking about before, they they use it in the broadest possible way. Like, we're going to use it in ways we haven't even figured out yet, but we're going to get it just in case. That just seems wrong. Like, how are they able to do that? Or because it's an opt, well, I guess it's not an opt-in, but because it's required to use the platform, you could either not use the car or you could have your data taken. That just seems wrong. I don't know, it just seems wrong. I, 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 don't, I don't know how else to characterize it, but they're able to do it. And is it because there's no real oversight? I mean, there's no legal oversight, right? There's no repercussions for them to do this, correct? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what they're doing, what a lot of what's stated in their privacy policies isn't against the law in right. the United States. That's why, you know, we need stronger privacy legislation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not like GDPR, no, I, and I appreciate GDPR. It was a pain yeah. to put in place, but I actually really appreciate mm-hmm. what it is, and and that it does control the information. And in the U.S., though, if you ever want to look anyone up and find out all sorts of stuff about them, you pay a couple of dollars and you can get a massive report on it. And I that know. that's that's not the same over here. I prefer it that way. <laughs> not not having that. All your information of anything about you is all out there. Well, I will say, yeah, absolutely. How do we feel about cookie sorry. policies? No, sorry to cut you off, Zoe, but I, it makes me think of the cookie policies. Like every website I go to, you got to do the cookie policy. Um, and while I appreciate having options generally, um, you know, if they're doing that on the websites, right? It seems like there should be more opt-in. I guess was what I'm getting at. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And to your earlier point, you know, they don't have to write these privacy policies yeah. and legalese. They don't have to be so vague. They could make it simple and easy for people to understand. As many brands and products like that respect privacy do. You know, they can have very clear right. privacy policies. And the same can be said for cookies. You know, they can make it easier for you to opt out. But if that's not what they want you to do, then they have ways of, you know, um, using deceptive design or, you know, fine print or confusing language, basically to nudge you towards the choice that they prefer that you that you make. But it is possible for these companies to make it easier for consumers. That's just maybe not always in their best interest. Yeah. Because it's convenience, you know, I mean, sometimes you're just like, ah, I just accept all because I just want to go look at this thing. And because you have to take that extra step. It's like multi-factor authentication. It's kind of a hassle, but it works. So it's conflicting. 
For sure. Yeah. So I, I admit to the fact that recently when it keeps saying, do you, do you opt in to everything? I keep rejecting it and then seeing whether websites still work. And so far I have not hit anything that stopped me right. accessing and looking for the information I wanted on the website. So that's a good point, Audra. I haven't really thought to test it like that because I want all my suggestions. I only shop <laughs> online. So I want all the suggestions. I don't want them to be stingy. With the suggestions. <laughs> you like the targeted advertising. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah. A proactive consumer. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what they say. Like, you know, it'll impact, you know, like kind of what we sh- share with you as options. And I'm like, I don't, don't take it away from me. Um, but, but I guess that's what's interesting. You know, there's, there's so many divides in how people feel about you know, what, what they're willing to give up. I always wondered if there was like a price, you know, we used to joke about this. Like, how much would you be willing to sell your social security number for, right? Or your driver's license number for your birthday. I feel like the birth date sailed, right? Everybody, your birthday's out there. Maybe it's the right one. Maybe it's not, but it's out there. Um, you know, but what's it worth to you? Like, I think that should be another, another thing. Like, I'll just give it to you. Like that, who was the guy that started that company where he put his social security number on the side of a truck and drove around? And he's like, I dare you to, to hack me. (laughs) It was one of those companies. Yeah. I don't know if they're Mm -hmm. still around. (laughs) He's probably been hacked and is now living somewhere else. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. You laugh, but we distributed a, a consent survey, um, I think this was following the launch of our mental health apps research, because at that time we published an article about how mental health apps in particular, and cars do the same thing, kind of manipulate the meaning of consent. Right. Like they're really stretching consent to the point where, you know, as I said, if it's implicit or it's assumed. Right. Um, side note, I think it's Subaru that says in their privacy policy that just getting into a Subaru means that you've consented. Ah to their uh, privacy policy. So it gets pretty wacky, but we, we distributed a survey asking people like, what does consent mean to you? What would you like to see? And a lot of people said that they said, you, I'll ask me if you can use my data and then, you know, pay me for it. Like I'll, I'll opt in if you give me the chance, but I also want to benefit from that data. Yeah. I mean, why, why not like just a little, little pop-up or, you know, a message kind of like on zoom, you know, when someone starts recording, it's like, Hey, we're recording just so you're aware, you know, and you could choose to drop, (laughs) I mean, not attend your business meeting or, you know, you could say, I'm okay with that. And why can't they do that in a car? Just a little, little voice. Hey, just a reminder. We're using your privacy today. <laughs> and, and we're going to pay you £2.50 exactly. for the day. Okay. As long as you drive right. X amount of time and drive this many miles or kilometers, we're going to give you two two bucks fifty. And I say, okay, I feel like that's an equitable exchange. I think we're onto something, Audra. <laughs> I think another business idea. <laughs> so many, so many ideas. Well, 
<laughs> like I said, I think we could spend you know days and days talking to Zoe on, on this topic because it's just so much fun. Um, but also really important that these conversations be had, you know, because I, I love the work that Mozilla Foundation's doing. It's critical. Um, you know, so many people just don't know and they don't know how to get access to information. And like you said, who's gonna read a privacy policy, let alone understand it? It's like stereo instructions. Um, you know, so thanks for that great work that you guys are doing. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad we've discovered it and uh, I'm glad our listeners are having a chance to, to learn more about it as well. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Excellent. Well, it's come to that time, Audra, the, another, another end of an episode. I always have so much fun with our conversations. So to all of our listeners, hope you guys enjoyed today. Um, you know, we, we love catching up with Zoe and, and sharing all of these really hot topics with you. Um, if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. You know, other topics you'd like to hear about. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe. As always, smash that subscription button and you get a fresh episode every Tuesday. So until next time, everybody, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. 